Well, again, good morning. Thanks again for joining us today. We are so glad to be together. Before we uh, uh, get rolling with um, the text and the lesson that we're going to have today, um, I wanted to mention something really exciting that we get to celebrate together as a church and that we get to be praying about. Uh, so Steve Riesenweber and Chris Smith, stand up if you want, guys. These guys are heading over to uh, Kenya on Tuesday. And they're going to be working for a couple weeks in a rural region of Kenya with Sohi, an organization uh, Steve is really involved with, and uh, just excited for what they're doing. Tell us a little bit about the scope of, of some of the work you're doing there. On this trip over there, we're doing kind of four things, primary things, um, that I'm really excited about. Two of them are, or three of them are local connection in the community. One is, is doing a leadership seminar for 500 community leaders in government, education, and and the spiritual world. Um, We're doing an evangelistic outreach, kind of a Billy Graham-type campaign, which uh, will reach 5,000 or more. That's how many we had last time. And about 1,000 accepted Christ last time. So people are thirsty there. It's really cool. And then we're also doing a lot of work within the schools in the region, particularly the secondary schools, because the kids are struggling. They're told education is their path out of poverty, but in reality, unemployment's at 95%. So they realize that even if they get that education, the odds of them getting a good job are minimal. So we're really ministering to them in a lot of ways. We're also going to be kicking off the program that Micah men- mentioned before. We call it I Was Thirsty. Um, and it's a clean water, sanitation, latrines in 41 schools in the region. So we're going to be really impacting them. With, they're, they're in a terrible situation now. So, um, so many gener- generous gifts have come in. We have $215,220 raised so far in yeah. five weeks. So God is good. Yes. Of 366 needed. That's incredible. And thank you to all of you, uh, because um, as a church, uh, you we have uh, come together to sponsor one of those 41 schools in Kenya, and it's exciting to be a part of such a beautiful mission and ministry happening there in Kenya. Excited for you guys and your trip. Um, we're going to pray for you, and, um, and thank you for sharing about it with us. Father God, we thank you for this day, this time. Uh, Father, we ask your blessings on Steve and on Chris as uh, they head to Kenya. We pray for safety. Uh, But Father, we ask that you will use them powerfully as they arrive there in Kenya, Father, that you will um, be be near to them, their team that's going over, that they can know your presence and that they can act out of it, Father, that they can be a light uh, in a place that they can bring hope uh, where sometimes it feels so slim. So Father, I pray that you will work powerfully in that trip. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, thank you guys for sharing about that with us, excited for for what is ahead. Hey, so we have been in a series in the book of Exodus, and we are concluding that today. It's done, friends. We're, We're there. We have arrived. It's been a fascinating story, a beautiful journey, um, considering the work that God did in the lives of these Israelite people. The way God acted powerfully and lovingly and and mercifully uh, in this story. Um, But I want to ask you this before we get rolling with our text today. Have you ever been in the presence of someone that you're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing? 
right? Uh, like your hero. You, you, you come into the presence of just the most amazing person that you've thought so highly of. Let, so um, let's, let's just shout them out a little bit. So who have we encountered and had that moment of like, wow, this is really cool? We met Evander Holyfield, I think, last year here in the Tri-Cities. That was kind of a cool experience. What, what else? Wilt Chamberlain. I never know if Phil is being serious. Someone else. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Okay. A globetrotter. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, uh, a couple years ago in Columbia Park here, met Spider-Man. He did a handstand. That was really cool. Um, oh, very cool. Very cool. So we've had those experiences where we've, we've come into the presence of someone that is just like, wow, this is, this is really cool. There's something special in this moment. Um, but probably more common to all of us is that experience of a person in life that we just love to be with, right? It might be a spouse, it might be a sibling, it might be a friend. Uh, often it's a friend that lives away and, and that once a year time that you get to spend time together. But just being in the presence of these people in our lives has a profound impact on us, right? Things look and feel different. Conversations slow and meals and drinks are shared. And, and, and it's this beautiful experience when we come into the presence of those people that are dearest to us. And we're going to talk about that today. Uh, we're going to talk about Moses and the presence of God so the story of, of Exodus is this. Uh, God's people had been, the Israelite people had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years, and God, through a man named Moses, his brother Aaron, uh, comes to Egypt and, and says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh is a hard-hearted and cruel man, kind of the epitome of evil in the world, enslaving people, killing all of the male children of the Israelites. And uh, God wages war with Egypt, with the gods of Egypt, and this god king, this pharaoh who called himself a god. And through ten plagues, God convinced pharaoh of his power over the gods of Egypt and over, him, over himself, over pharaoh. And pharaoh finally says, go, leave this country. And the Israelites leave, and the Egyptian army chases them down, and God saves them through the Red Sea. Now, the Israelites find themselves, after 400 years of captivity, uh, wandering in the desert, quite confused at, at what their next steps are, quite confused about where do we go from here, what do we do. In fact, in their most dire of moments when they're hungry or thirsty, they're crying out to God or insulting Moses, saying, you should have just left us in Egypt where at least we had food to eat, right? Forgetting the past, forgetting the slavery and the murder of their children and saying, man, that's just it would just be better that way. And yet God remains in incredibly faithful to his people in this story, in this time in which they're wandering in the desert, in this time in which they have left everything they knew into something that should be better, uh, but the fear and the confusion tends to cripple. And God had been faithful to his people to this point. 
the larger narrative tells the story of God making a covenant with a man named Abraham, saying, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you that you can be a blessing to all nations, and I will give you this promised land. So here we find ourselves, the Israelites in the desert, uh, and, and are ready to approach the promised land. But in spite of God's faithfulness, Israel has continued to fall short on their end of covenant. So Exodus chapter 33, verse 1, we've, squipped, we've skipped quite a ways from our last text in 1920, uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments and all that. God has laid out more law for his people, and in Exodus 33, verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a lot of ites in that land. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. So God, faithful to his covenant and his promises, says the land is in front of you. I have made you into a great nation, right? A couple million Israelites now are moving towards this promised land. He's faithful to his promise in that he says, and I will send an angel before you that will drive out all of the ites in the land of Canaan, right? And, and, he, says, uh, and he says, my faithfulness has brought you to this point. But God says, but you are a stiff-necked people. And I don't know exactly what that means. I looked it up in a dictionary and it said like haughty or stubborn, um, And he says, you have been stubborn. You have refused my ways and and you have failed in covenant time and time again. So God says, I will not go with you. I'll send an angel instead. And Moses in verse 15 will reply to God. God is, is being faithful. God is fulfilling everything in the covenant that he's established. But Moses' response in 33.15 blows me away. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And I want to listen for a moment here at this drastic, I mean, Moses and the people at the precipice of the land that they had been promised, that they have always dreamed of, with the offer that an angel will bring you into this land and it will be yours. Moses says, I will not take another step without your presence going with me. Have you ever been in the presence of God? I mean, the question and the illustration at the beginning and the presence of someone you were impressed with, right? That was kind of weak and lame. Uh, Because if you've ever been in the presence of God, let's be honest, there's there's just no comparison. I remember... um, uh, Andy works in middle school ministry. Some of us have, have worked in those capacities. I remember teen camp as a kid. 
And I remember those experiences of knowing a God who loved me. I remember singing, and I remember late-night devotionals, and I remember playing and having fun with people, and all the while just knowing something of God that I had never really seen or known or realized before in my life. I remember after high school, I was in Botswana where my uncle and aunt were missionaries there, and I spent a few months there with them considering overseas missions as a career path. And I sat on the Sodilo Hills. Um, It's in in this huge plain. Um, There's this cropping of rocks that just, for, for no good reason or explanation, rise high into the sky, and you can climb around them and get up onto them. And I remember sitting on these hills in a land unlike anything I have ever seen and writing in my journal and watching animals out on the plain and knowing the presence of God in a way like I had never known. In fact, it was on that hill and a couple other experiences there in Botswana where God invited me back to the States and back to my hometown to engage in in missions. Um, But in that moment, I knew God's presence in a beautiful and remarkable way that began to shape my life in whole new directions. And so Moses is in this position where God is saying, all right, you get everything you want. Like, you get the blessings, you get the land, you are a great nation, I've freed you from slavery, right? God says, you get everything, so go on with this angel, and you will be good. And in this moment, Moses says, no, it is not good, unless I am in your presence. Moses could take the promise, the people of Israel could take the promise and run ahead with it, but they say the promise is no good, unless I can rest in your presence, Lord. And I wonder in our lives what it looks like to try to cultivate, to try to foster this posture of desperation for the presence of God. God, my wealth and my cars and my house and even my relationship with my spouse and my children, none of this is the end prize if I'm deprived of your presence. So God, teach me your presence. So in time, as the story continues with Moses and the Israelites, um, so they, they build this tabernacle, this tent, the place of meeting where, where Moses would go and be in God's presence. God said, I'll go with you. I'll continue the journey with you. Everything you have asked uh, will be given to you. And so Moses would go into this tabernacle, and, 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 and it, it's where he would meet with God. He would be in God's presence, and then he would kind of disseminate. He would transfer that presence to the people of the nation. And in time, Israel would take this promised land, um, and, and they would build a temple. And people could come to this temple and into the courtyards and be near the presence of God. And then there was this holy of holies, this place where God would dwell. And one time a year, the, the high priest was the only one ever allowed to enter the holy of holies, this closest place, and enter into the presence of God. But God was faithful to his people, and he said, my presence will go with you. And so it became central to who they were as a people, this tabernacle, this temple, the presence of God will be at the center of who we are as a people. And praise God that the story does not end there. 
because here's what happens. Jesus is on earth, and for three years, he's been leading this group of disciples, these followers, saying, you know, this is, this is what I know. This is, this is God, and, and, and this is what it looks like to love and to heal and to help, to bring about social justice and to do all these different things. And at the end, just before he's going to die, he says the most insane words to his followers. John 16, 7, he says, uh, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says to his closest followers, it is good that I'm going away. And can you imagine the cry of, uh, of, of like frustration and confusion as his followers say, no, talk about God's presence. We've been going to this temple all the while. For three years, we have walked in the presence of God in Jesus, right? Uh, for three years, we have known you, his presence. And Jesus says, hey, it's good for you that I'm going away. Because when I go, the Father will send the counselor the guide, the spirit, an entirely new era would be ushered in in the story of humanity. I remember that temple with the Holy of Holies, that, that central place uh, where God would dwell. You remember, uh, you may or may not, but as Jesus died on the cross, the curtain that separated people from that Holy of Holies, that center place in the temple, was torn from top to bottom. This barrier that separated people from the presence of God, this physical barrier was torn in two as people were able to come to realize in time at Pentecost in Acts 2 as the Holy Spirit comes powerfully on people and thousands of people come to see and believe in a risen Savior that the Spirit will be that presence of God in life. Jesus says this of the Holy Spirit in, in, in different places throughout the Gospels. He says the Spirit will be your counselor. It will be your guide. He said the Spirit will remind you of my words, of Jesus' words. He says because of the Spirit, you will not be left as orphans, but the Spirit will comfort you when you're hurting. God promises this remarkable opportunity, invitation, a place of presence with himself through the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, our, our bodies are described as a temple of God, right? That temple where once the Spirit would dwell now dwells inside of us. Galatians 5 speaks of the, the gifts of the Spirit, um, or it speaks of the fruits of the Spirit, the things that will be produced in our lives. It, it speaks of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And let me just say today, man, you might have it all together or might, life might feel right now like it's just crumbling, right? We all come in different places on this day, but I am quite confident that any one of us could use a little more love or joy or peace or patience. And the promise of Scripture is that the Spirit, God's presence in our lives, can and will be producing these things. And so my question today is how desperate will we be for the presence of God?
And here's the beautiful thing. Like we don't have to go running for it. We don't have to approach a temple. We don't have to wonder if you know, God will, will come along with us on the journey like Moses did. The promise is real and alive and the spirit is at work in and amongst us. And so the question becomes, to what extent will I give myself to the work of God in my life? But here's the most remarkable turn for me. This last weekend, um, or this weekend, I was in Seattle at a at a conference of church planters, and um, and we heard all these stories of different church plants taking root in different ways in their communities. And what was beautiful, as I had been studying and considering this topic, and and this idea of the presence of God, it was at this conference and sitting and listening to these remarkable stories of different things happening in different ways in different communities throughout the Northwest. And and I realized a central theme in all the stories I was hearing, though though the word was never used by any one of us that presented, the, the word was presence. Like we are all seeking a way to have a real and meaningful presence in our community. Right? We, 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 want, we want to be relevant, not for our own benefit, not that we would grow, but we want to be relevant in that we are bringing beneficial things, the love of God in real and tangible ways into our communities. We want, we desperately want to learn to be more present in our community. And here is the incredible thing that I discovered in the text that we read today. Back in chapter 33, 15, Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with me, I won't take another step. But do you remember that he said why? He said, because without your presence, I won't look any different than anyone else. People won't know about you. Moses links in that text, and I hadn't seen it all week until we sat in these conversations, and I was like, what does presence really look like in our communities? And, and And I saw it. I went back to the text and I saw it. Moses creates this link. He says it is the presence of God in our lives that will distinguish us, that will make God known in our communities, in our workplaces, in our homes. And so here is the beautiful promise and the beautiful invitation today that I want to lay out. This invitation that should we be desperate for God's presence, should we take seriously the offer of the Spirit working in our lives, then we will be a presence in our workplaces, right? And so often in Christendom, we feel this need to like evangelize and I gotta teach and I gotta be able to argue with the atheist and convince them that I'm right and they're wrong, right? Quite often we fall into these modes and it's good to be knowledgeable and it's good to be able to express why you believe what you believe, no doubt about that. However, the beautiful thing about this concept is that the presence of the Spirit in our lives will speak powerfully for us. So that, not so that we won't ever share, uh, articulate our faith, but so that in our workplaces, people come to us and say, how, how do you handle that situation like that? Where people come to us and say, there's something different about you. Where people say, hey, can we have coffee because I'm struggling in my marriage or I lost a loved one? 
And, and I gotta say, friends, that is the work of the Spirit in our lives, revealing the goodness of God through the ways that we live. And so as we learn in our neighborhoods and in our interactions with people around us to demonstrate that love that the Spirit is blessing us with and producing as a fruit, right? As we learn to operate peacefully and patiently and kindly, as we learn to be good to people, even the least of these, the marginalized people that only Jesus would go to because Israel could care less about them at that point, right? As we learn to live in these ways, the presence of God will create a real presence in our communities, through our lives, through the ways we live. Jesus speaks of us as a light on a hill. He says, uh, you will shine like a light on a hill, like a city on a hill. You will shine and people will see it. But like Moses, I believe it only happens if the presence of God goes with us. This is what shines out of us, friends. It's nothing beautiful about our character, about our speech, about anything that we are or have done, but the presence of God, the Holy Spirit at work in our lives will shine brightly. It's my dream that we go from here today uh, convicted that I want to invite the Spirit to work powerfully in me and through me. And in that, that the Spirit will demonstrate powerfully a risen Savior in the lives of people around us. As we demonstrate these gifts of the Spirit, it will transform our workplaces, our communities. It will change the lives of people in Africa over the next couple weeks. Praise God that his Spirit goes with us and will work powerfully in us and through us. It will transform interactions in our households. Friends, the invitation is to let the Spirit of God work powerfully in us and through our lives. You are invited to know the presence of God. And so as we pray today and as we close out, I want to just remind us of the words of Moses. I won't go a step further without your presence. And I want to invite us to pray that today, just in your head. You're welcome to pray along with me or just tune that out and and talk to God. You are invited into his presence. I can have that conversation. And, And I want to invite us, those of us that have been following Jesus for a long time today, friends, I want to know more of the Spirit's work in my life. I want to be a greater presence in this community, not for myself, not for our little church, but for the glory of God. And so I want to invite us to consider inviting the Spirit to work powerfully. God, I won't go another step without your presence. Reveal your presence to me. Allow me to to know the work of your Spirit in my life. And for some of us today that have maybe never come to that point in life, I just want to invite you to consider I want to invite you to consider what it looks like to love and follow Jesus, to accept him as your savior, as your guide in life, to know uh, baptism, this, this ceremony, this celebration where we come up out of the water, like experiencing in a physical way this newness of life that Jesus has brought, this new hope. And I want you to know the power of the spirit working in your life. So as we close today, Let's pray, considering the presence of the Spirit in our lives. Father God, we thank you for this day.
We thank you for this time, and I thank you for Moses and such poignant words. And so, Father, I pray with him today. Many of us here today pray with him. Uh, Father, I don't want to take another step outside of your presence. So, Father, will you overwhelm us with your love and an outpouring of your spirit? Father, will you allow us um, in, in walking in step with the spirit to be more of a presence in our communities, in our workplaces, in our lives. And Father, where it, where it feels vague, <laughs> where, where this entire idea feels challenging or confusing, I pray that you will speak powerfully to our hearts, that we can know your love, your nearness, and the power of the Spirit to work in us and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. Amen.